You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So I want to share with you an idea. Not a long idea. I first heard this idea in this way from Rav Riskin many, many years ago when I was a kid. He gave a Shabbat Shuvah Jirash on Lincoln Square Synagogue. I couldn't have been more than 15 or 16 years old, and the idea stuck with me. So I want to share with you an idea. This is Parshat Acharimot. And it's called Acharimot. That's a very difficult parsha after death. Because once Aaron loses two sons, the rest of his life will be after the death. Right? You talk to families that are bereaved, there's life before and life after. There's things that were before we lost Benji and things after. The world is not the same. And it's fascinating. We're not going to do this now. It's fascinating to look at the topics in this week's parsha, considering that these are the topics that come after the deaths of another of you. Okay. After our own sons are, are, are killed by a, a fire from heaven or whatever from the Torah, with whatever else was going on there, in the tabernacle, in the Mishkan, and the day the Mishkan was dedicated. Okay. So one of the topics, perhaps the central topic, which we actually alluded to last week, are the two goats. Actually, the whole service of Yom Kippur. Okay, this day is actually the second Yom Kippur. What happened on the first Yom Kippur? First Yom Kippur after the Jews get out of Egypt, which is the first Yom Kippur. What happens? Oh, Moshe comes down with the second set of luchot that he carved, and the Jewish people are forgiven. So the second Yom Kippur really is what Hashem gave to us. We brought down from Hashem. This is the second Yom Kippur. A year later, They've dedicated the Mishkan after that whole mess. It takes a year. They've dedicated the Mishkan. Now we're going to give back to God. Right? And the central point of the ritual of Yom Kippur is in Paraktet Zions, in the 16th chapter of uh, Vayikra. Right? And it says, Right? From amongst the congregation of Israel, Aaron is going to take two goats, okay, for a chatat, for a transgression, sin, mistake, offering, okay? And he's going to do whatever he's going to do, and then he's going to take these two goats. Now, by the way, so they take these two goats, which means... What does lakach mean? Hashem adam, ki ish isha, to take. What does it mean? Okay, it means you're making a kinyan. It means you're establishing a commitment relationship. So he's establishing a commitment relationship with these two goats. That's a little weird, but okay. And Aaron is going to place lots on these two goats. By the way, how did this occur in the base of Mikdash? There was a bag, okay? Probably a black velvet bag, but maybe that's my imagination. And there are two, eventually, eventually, there are two uh, plates, possibly gold, okay? And they're in this bag. And each one has a word on it. One of them says, La Hashem, for God. And the other one says, La Zazel. Okay? Which today means, oh man, but okay, right? One is to God, one is to Azazel. Okay? Right? Um, 
Where else does the word Azazel appear in the Torah? Am I now? That is correct. Nowhere else. This is the only place in all of Tanakh that the word Azazel appears. So what does that mean? Pardon? No, no, no. If it only appears once in the entire Torah, how does that limit me? There's no pshat. There's no contextual understanding because it's the only place it appears. So it's an interesting question. How do you figure out what this word means? Okay. And Aaron sticks his hands in there and he pulls them out. And he puts each hand, closed fist, with a lot in each hand on top of the heads of the goats, turns his hands over, opens them up. One of them says La Hashem and one of them says La Zazel. And now these two goats, they're going to have two different destinies. Okay? And the one whose lot was raised up to be Lashem is offered up by Aaron. Okay? And it's a chatat. Sin offering for the whatever. Now the goat whose lot has fallen to be Azazel for Azazel, we'll get to that in a minute, right? So it stands alive. It doesn't get shechted. Okay? And it's going to be for an atonement. It's kind of funny. You would think the other one is for an atonement, but okay. It's going to be sent to Azazel in the desert. Or desert words. You're going to send it out to the desert, to Azazel. And then Aaron is going to offer up the parchatat, whatever. It's going to do what it's going to do. Right? And he's going to shecht. Right? The one that's Hashem is get, it gets slaughtered and offered up. Right? And, uh, and the other goat, right? Aaron is now going to place both his hands on top of the head of the living goat, the Lazazel goat. And he's going to do vidui. Right? What's vidui? Confession. And it's the, the essence of <coughs> tshuva, of getting back to who we're supposed to be. He's doing this for the whole Jewish people. Interesting. He's doing tshuva, he's confessing, he's owning up, he's admitting, he's thankful, and all the things we've talked about. He's doing that on the goat that gets sent to the desert, not the goat that gets offered up in the Beis HaMikdash. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, so he's going to offer this up, okay, um, Right? And he sent with a person who's designated, possibly a person who wanders, possibly a person who goes slowly into the desert. And this goat will carry with it the iniquities of the entire Jewish people into the land of Gzera, of decree. And, and the goat will be sent into the desert. And that's the story. And then what happens to the person who takes that goat? She has to wash his clothes or whatever. Okay. So the obvious question is, what's the deal with this goat? What is the goat that goes la'azazel? What do we do with it? So, 
point you out what the, the Sadala Rebbe said, okay? There are different opinions. Rashi, okay, and I'm quoting this off in the Ramban, it's just easier, but you can see this inside. Rashi, and in the Medrash and Torah Koranim, says, La'azazel, what does La'azazel mean? La'makoma kasheh shebe'arim. Okay? This is in a, a hard place in the mountains. Now, whether hard means difficult, or hard means hard rocks on which to dash the goat, is an interesting discussion. Yochel B'yishuv, let's say you can find hard rocks or a hard place in, in town. No, Hamid Baba. It has to be sent into the desert. What's the difference between a city and a desert? The desert is not a place. The desert is no place. It's the place you don't go to. It's the place you go through. You don't go to the desert to be there. You go to the desert to get away from there. What's the most significant event the Jewish people experience in the desert? Pardon? Harsinai. We receive the Torah. Does anybody know exactly where Harsinai is? No. Because if you're doing something in the desert, it's not about the place. It's about not being in a place. The desert is the place that isn't owned by anybody. It's nobody's and it's everybody's. Right? So you're going to send this code into the desert. Interesting. Okay? And Raja continues, right? Since the land says, uh, since the Pesach says you send it to the land of Gzera, Gzera also means Gazur, cut off, that's a cliff. So therefore Rashi says, it's a cliff in the desert. Okay. And that's where you send it to. And Pshat is that Azazel is that place, right? And, and the Ramban even says, According to Rashi, says the Ramban, the word Lazazel means to a hard place. Izuz is hard, strong, and therefore Lazazel is a form of that strength and hardness, hard place. Okay. The Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra says, don't think that one of these is to God and one of them isn't. They're both to God. That's what Ibn Ezra says. They're both to God. Right? And obviously, you don't have to say that it's not necessarily an offering. Right? And the, the Ibn Ezra says what he says. Okay. Now it gets interesting. Listen to what the Ramban says. This is craziest Ramban in the whole time. Like you read this Ramban, right? The Ramban, Nachmanides, 13th century, Spain, Kabbalist, commentary and all of Shas, all of Pope. Significant rabbi in Jewish history. Listen to what he says. Okay? Avalani Rachil Ibn Ezra has a very strange uh, language and he says, the, the, the story of Sayyid Azazel is a, is a secret, it's, it's, it's mystical, but I'll reveal to you a little bit of it when you're 33. So some of them, for should say, look ahead 33 verses, and you'll see a verse that tells you what the Ibn Ezra thinks of Azazel is. I'm not going to do that right now, got to leave some work for you to do. Listen to the Ramban says, Rachil, and me, what does Rachil mean? Gossip, right? Tell you an interesting tidbit, right? That's mama's really saying. I'll let you know the secret. Right? What's the secret of Azazel? Right? Esav is called the hairy one, the Isair. 
Therefore, Seir represents Esav. We'll have to understand what that means. Okay? Lefichach. Hayu notnim lo l'samael. Shochad v'yom ha-kipoi. They would give Samael, okay, the Satan, a bribe on Yom Kippur. The Goraloshel Azazel, right, because Goral Chal Hashem and one one line is to God and one line is to Azazel. Seir Achatach, the Chol Avonotem Shul Yisrael Alav. All the iniquities of Jewish people are given to Azazel. Ra'as Samael Shalonim Tzabahem Chet. Samael, right, this satanic messenger, sees that the Jewish people have no mistakes, no iniquities on Kippur. And he says, Do you have one people who are like the angels? The angels have no shoes. The Jews don't wear shoes. The angels don't eat, the Jews don't eat. Right? And he goes on and on. The prosecutor, Samael, has become the defender. It's a strange line. And he says one more thing, which is mind-boggling. He says... Second, Hashem has commanded us to send an offering to the prince who lives in the places of darkness. On Yom Kippur, we offer up an offering to Samael, <laughs> prince of darkness. What is that? It's like, you know, one of those freaky movies that your mother grabs your arm. You know, like, what is that? So I'll show you an idea. Because this is not just, you know, a tish at the Noam Melech. This is Yom Kippur. This is the central, most critical ritual of the entire year. What is this offering to the Prince of Darkness that we're all meant to offer, but that the Kohen Gadol offers for us? So this is an interesting Gemara. The Gemara in Yuma and Daf Pevav says the following. There's a whole discussion here in the Gemara. What is so great about Tshuva? What is so great about getting back to who you are? Oh, Gadol Tshuva, Shemachaperet Al Kol Tshuva is great because you gain forgiveness for all your sins. Tshuva is great, Shemekarevet Tagula, because it brings forth redemption. I think Mara quotes Reish Lakish. What's great about Chuba? By the way, it's interesting to know. Why would you think Reish Lakish might be an expert on Chuba? Because he was a big robber, and he did Chuba. And he became one of the great rabbis of Jewish history. So he knows a little bit about Chuba. Okay, right? So, so, this is like this. Amr of Yonatan. No, sorry. You know what's great about tshuva? When you do tshuva, when you repent, when you kind of turn back the clock, a zadon, what's a zadon? A mezid? Pardon? 
It's, a, it's, a, it's something you do on purpose. It's not like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that that was treif. It's like, I know it's treif, but do you know you're not allowed to eat treif? Yes. But did you grow up eating on treif? Yes. I went to yeshiva, and I'm going to eat it anyway. Right? It's amazing. If you do tshuva, it's like it was an accident. Okay. And then the Gemara says, but wait a second. But we have another tradition that Reish Lakish says that tshuva is great because purposeful mistakes, purposeful chataim, right? They become like schuyot. Now what's a schus? A merit. It becomes a merit. So which is it? Does tshuva make my sin an accident? Or does it make my sin a mitzvah? So which is, this is not a problem. Kan miyira, kan miyava. Okay? If you do tshuva miyira, if you're in awe, or if you're afraid, depending on how you understand yira, so then it accomplishes something. It's like really if you would have known that Hashem fills the world, you would never have done this, so it's like an accident. But if you do tshuva miyava, if you do tshuva at a desire to give to Hashem, to connect to Hashem, then the mistakes that you made, the purposeful sins that you did, become like a merit. And that's obviously difficult. How does that work? How could it possibly be? I mean, think about this. I mean, if you're tshuva, first of all, how can you undo the things you did? Like, you did them. You did terrible things. You know, you, you I don't know, uh, you went into somebody's room and you stole their, their money. You took out all chasram, you took out all their money, they stole their wallet and whatever. And then they come and they can't find it and they're freaking out and they're going all over the place and then they can't buy what they're going to buy and their mother gets angry at them and their father won't talk to them and now he can't buy his farm so he can't learn all year so because he can't learn all year he never grows to be the Ben Torah so he goes off the derech and the next thing you know he's... And all that because you're so... <laughs> and all that... And all that... You know, he never discovers the beauty of children. You, ru- you ruined his life, right? You can't fix that. You can't go back and take back time. But if you did tshuva me'ava, says Rish Lakish, it becomes like a mitzvah that you did that. So how do you understand? So this is what I heard from Riverskin in the name of Rosolovichik. There's a when Yaakov Avinu is finally coming back after 22 years on the road. Okay? He's, um, he's terrified because he sends messengers and they come back. What do they tell him? Esav's coming towards you. 400 men are with him. 400 men in those days is an army. It's a huge army. So he's terrified. Right? So what's the line that he says to Esau, or he wants to say to Esau, Remember this line? I was living with Laban. I wasn't running away from you. I just uh, was living with Laban for 22 years. And I'm a little late. That's a very strange line. What does that mean, I'm, I'm a little late? I've been delayed till now. It means I should have been here sooner, right? Why does Yaakov say I should have been here sooner? Because I owe you an explanation. I took the brachos and I affected your relationship with Yitzchak forever. 
and I owe you an explanation, I can give it to you. So Rashi there quotes the Drush. Beautiful Rashi. Everybody knows this Rashi. Im lavan garti. What does that mean? Vitaryag mitzvot shamati. Remember this? The gematria, right? Really the letters of garti I lived with are the same letters as taryag 613 mitzvot. In other words, you may have 400 men, but I've been keeping Torah mitzvot. So I got a lot of merit in my pocket. You don't want to mess with me. And that's what everybody says, now it's so great, and what do I want to put? Everybody forgets the second half of the line in that Rashi. Because the second half of the line in that Rashi is, in Lavan Garti, I lived with Lavan, Taryag Mitzvot Shamati, and I, 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 I kept the mitzvot. Velo Lamadati Mimasavaraim. And I didn't learn from his evil ways. From Lavan. I didn't learn from Lavan's evil ways. First of all, that line makes no sense. Nobody can keep 613 mitzvahs. If you're not a Kohen, you can't keep the mitzvahs of a Kohen. If you're not uh, getting divorced, you don't keep the mitzvah of a get. It, I mean, there's no limit. There are hundreds of mitzvahs that you don't keep. If you don't have a field, you can't take off a corner. If, if you don't have a donkey, you can't give pet to There are a million mitzvahs you don't keep. So what does that mean, I kept mitzvot? What's... So most people understand that to mean, in Lavangarit, Tariq, Mitzvot, Shavarim is like, I, I, I have something to my credit because I was able to maintain my relationship with Judaism, with Hashem, with the ancestors, with, with our tradition, even though I was living with Lavan. So clearly the birthright is mine. And clearly the blessings are mine. And that's how many people understand this. Says the Soloveitchik, there's another way to understand this. You know, when I was a kid, so I lived on the west side. And we would go to shul shops morning. And Sunday morning, you know, we'd go to Minyan. And every Sunday, there was an OTB. It was on 72nd and Broadway. Might still be there. You know what OTB is? Off-track betting? It's like these, these offices where you can go and bet on the races, on the horses. For the guy who never can't afford to go out to the race, you know, he's not going to go out to Monticello, no problem. In those days, there's no cable, there's no, like... So you would go to the OTB, and you would bet on the races, and then there was a big TV, at least that was considered big in those days, and you would watch the races. It was unbelievable. Okay? Every Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, whenever this thing opened, there was a line down the block to get into the OTB on time to make the bets. Okay? It was unbelievable. And then i get to Minion, and there'd be like 100 people waiting for the OTB, and we'd get to maybe like 20 people in Minion. And the contrast always stuck with me. Right? <clears throat> Says Rosalvejic. I lived with Lavan, but I missed the opportunity to learn from the brin of Lavan, from his enthusiasm. You know, if there's a movie, and the movie's at 9, you don't get there at 9.10. You get there at 9. In fact, you get there at 5 to 9, because you want to see the ads. And if somebody walks in at 9.02, you're like, God, I can't, why do they come late? Right? But if morning theater starts at 9, 9, 9.10, 9.20, I'll get a bagel, right? If we could take the excitement, the investment, the enthusiasm that we have for the world of Lava, and we could commit it to the world of Torah, then we would live a different life, right? We don't do that. (coughs) That is the Sa'ir La'azazel. You can take the energy that leads you astray. And you can just undo it. You can stop it. 
Okay. And then it'll be like a show gig. But if Hashem gives you a ratzon, if Hashem gives you a desire, if you can transform that desire, if you can channel that energy to avodat Hashem, then that becomes your merit. And that's as a slovedic, is the Sa'il Azazel. You gotta offer something up to the Sar Hamoshel Bimkomotachurban. There are things that we want and they take us to the dark places. Judaism doesn't believe you gotta destroy those things. You gotta figure out where that Ratzon comes from. And you have to channel it for good. And that's why you gotta take two goats. <clears throat> and that's why one of those goats goes out to the desert. What, what is my Sa'il Hashem? And what is my Sa'il Azazel? How do I see the good in the goat that's going into the desert in the darkness and channel it to the light? How do I let go of it on the one hand, throw it off a cliff, and utilize it on the other? That's what Sa'il Azazel is all about. And I think that that maybe, I don't, as much as I've had different experiences in this world, I've been blessed not to fully comprehend that one. But that a woman can be in Auschwitz. I looked at her number because we were in Poland this year. So one of you asked Ravitz, our, our tour guide, you know, what the different numbers. And he told us that A is Auschwitz. And B was Birkenau. And there were a couple of other details he shared. So I looked at her number. And her number started with an A. So I know she was in Auschwitz. And that was the only camp that they gave their numbers like that. She's a woman who lost her whole family. She lost her parents, siblings. She was in Auschwitz. I don't know what they did to her in Auschwitz. She survived. She came to Eretz Israel. She built up a Medina. She had a family. And then one of her sons was taken from her. His, his vehicle went up on a landmine. And in 1985, she lost a son. And that's a place that's so dark. There are people who just jump off the cliff. They're just they're stuck in that darkness. And this family somehow, this family somehow, they channeled that to make light. That's an inspiration. <laughs> and that's this pasuk. That's, it, it fits now to me that this is in Acharei Mot Kedoshim. Aaron has to take that darkness and he has to utilize it. The first thing Moshe Rabbeinu tells them, Hashem tells them, you have to take it into the Bezimikdash. You have to channel it. You know? And each of us has to struggle with how we do that. You know? Uh, maybe I have a tithe to eat too much. So I channel it. I eat chulp. It's a tremendous thing. Right? That's a challenge. To find our darkness. To find the things that we need to work on. And not to destroy them. Not to ignore them. It's very hard to let go of them. But at least to channel them to good things. A little food for thought. Everybody should have an incredible Shabbat. Um, Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.